Good morning. It's good to be with you here as always. I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I did with my family. We, I told you last week we go around the table and we share things we're thankful for. And my little four-year-old granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, I said, Annalise, what are you thankful for? She goes, I'm thankful for God. So praise the Lord. I, I love to hear it out of the mouths of, of babes. For the last two weeks and concluding today, we've been looking at uh, uh, major, major Bible prophecies and end times prophecy. We're not talking explicitly about the return of Christ, although obviously the two things are very, very closely uh, related. Uh, Jesus is coming soon, and uh, we're going to talk today about this uh, end times event we've been talking about, and maybe that's coming soon. And if that's coming soon, then Jesus, we know, is coming soon. Uh, If you haven't been here the last two weeks again, uh, or either the last two Sundays, I encourage you to go onto the church website and uh, listen to the messages there. You may be a little bit lost today, but hopefully you can put it together as you listen to these other things that we're going to talk about today. One thing we know for sure is that this world is not going to last forever. Uh, Now for our entire lives, there's always been one more day, one more week, one more month, one more year and there's just this sense you know that things are going to just keep on going uh, more or less the way they always have uh, for as far out into the future as we can imagine that's the way the whole world thinks but it's not true okay all of history is on a collision course with the end and it's later than we think now, I kind of think of looking through an hourglass, and, and just imagine if all you could see was the bottom half of that hourglass, if there was a piece of paper or something wrapped around that top half. And you could see how much sand has gone through the hourglass. You can see what has transpired already, but you really have no way of knowing what's yet to come. And, and maybe, even now, the last grains of sand are getting just about ready to drop through to the end Now, we've been studying the War of Gog and Magog. It's in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. If you want to have your Bible open there, we'll be looking at passages all over in there. And we've compared what biblical prophecy tells us with what we see going on in the world today. And the overwhelming conclusion, in my mind at least, is that it's coming soon. Uh, The stage has been set for this coming war. Uh, the Bible tells us that it's going to come about in the end times, and we could be very, very close to that. But in the last days, there's going to be uh, an alliance, a coalition of nations that's going to come together, led by Russia and a leader from Russia, and including primarily Islamic uh, nations that surround Israel. And they are going to invade Israel with a desire and a goal to destroy her once and for all. And there are many conditions that... this. The Bible sets forth that have to be true to match uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy, and pretty much they are all in place already, right now. Israel has been restored as a nation and, and also as, as, the, as a land. Uh, the exact alignment of nations that Ezekiel foretold 2,600 years ago uh, is present today for the very first time in human history. Uh, The motivation to destroy Israel is there in the form of radical Islam and also in the growing wealth of that land as they've discovered oil and gas there. And every detail that we've looked at, and there's a lot of them, has fallen into perfect position today in in our time. 
And the stage is set, and it cannot be long until the curtain rises and this drama begins. Now, this war will come. Okay? We, we know that for sure uh, because it's in the Bible. Okay? God has told us about it. And Israel will be invaded. Okay, we know that. We know that no nation will come to her aid. It will look like her doom is nigh at hand, but God will save the day. And there will be a miraculous deliverance, the like of which the world has not seen for thousands of years, and God is going to save his people, Israel. And, and we've been looking at this. It's an amazing prophecy. And the end result of all this is that the whole world will know, and even Israel will know, that the Lord is God. So the question we're going to look at today is, okay, when is this going to happen? Okay, uh, when is this war going to take place? I, I had a couple people this morning as I walked in jokingly said, are you going to give us the date and the time? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so don't, don't set your hope for that. But there is a question. Will we be here as the church of Jesus Christ? Is it possible we'll be here for this or will this take place after we get to heaven? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So to start, let's review our end times timeline. And I put this on your sermon outlines for you and we'll put it up here on the screen as well. There's a lot of details about this that I could take weeks and weeks to, to preach through, but I'm just going to tell you uh, as I understand Scripture, what the Bible teaches, and this is completely in line with uh, CNBC's doctrinal statement. So you can check me on that. I'm pretty sure we're, we're in good territory here. So the last seven years of this age, uh, right now before the return of Christ, is a period the Bible calls the tribulation, or sometimes the great tribulation. It's a seven-year period of time. Before that tribulation begins, there will be an event that we call the rapture of the church, when all true believers uh, meet the Lord in the air and are taken to the, be with the Lord in heaven. Now, I don't really have time today to talk about why I believe the rapture of the church comes before the tribulation period. I've studied this at great length. I am completely convinced from Scripture that that is, is what the, the Scriptures teach. We could talk about that another time if there's ever a chance. But sometime after the rapture of the church, there's a man coming who we call, the Bible calls the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will make a covenant, a seven-year covenant with Israel that begins. That is actually what marks the beginning of the tribulation period. And for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, he will honor that covenant, but then he actually breaks his treaty, according to Scripture, in the middle of that period of time, precisely at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and unleashes a persecution against Israel such as the world has never known. And during this period of time... Billions of people will die. Most of the world's population will be wiped out. Much of it by, you could call them natural disasters. They're actually uh, acts of God where, where this, the world and creation itself seems to come apart. And then the Antichrist uh, has there's wars and persecutions. And the Bible tells us if this time wasn't cut short, no life would be saved. But it, but it is ended by the return of Christ in glory. And then he will set up his kingdom on earth, he'll usher in a thousand-year period of peace and blessing known as the millennium. The Bible talks a lot about this. So we are living right now on the far left end of this timeline, very close perhaps. We don't know exactly how close, but probably, possibly very, very close to the rapture of the church. So for the, question, the question for today is where on this timeline 
does this war of Gog and Magog take place? Now, there are several possibilities, and I'm going to talk this morning about the different views and, and uh, why I hold the one perspective, but I'll give them all to you. Uh, one possibility for the timing of this war is that it will come during the tribulation. And if that is so, it would have to happen during the first half of the tribulation because the second half very much is not a time of peace and safety for Israel as Ezekiel says it will be. And those Bible scholars who put the war here usually put it right before the end of that three and a half years, right, right close to the midpoint. So looking at your timeline again then, if you take that view, it would be right where uh, that blue star is there on the timeline. Now, remember last week we talked about a couple nations that are notably absent, and one of them is Iraq. Okay? They're not listed as being part of this attack against Israel. If this perspective is right, it would explain why Iraq's not part of that, because the Antichrist is going to set up his, his headquarters, the, the capital of the world, in Babylon, which is in Iraq. Okay, and of course he's honoring his treaty, his peace treaty with Israel, so maybe that's why, at least for Iraq, uh, they're not part of this war. Another possibility is that the war could happen between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how much time there is between the rapture of the church and the start of of the tribulation. We assume that they're very close together, and they may well be, but we really don't know that. Now, on the timeline then, uh, that would put it there, uh, between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. Now, <clears throat> again, if it's there, that would explain perhaps why no nation on earth, and notably the United States, if we're still around, does not come to Israel's aid. Because if the rapture has happened first, I'm assuming that would devastate the United States. I'm assuming that would take away any desire or interest in helping Israel and may explain why Israel stands all alone. Her enemies uh, could seize that a moment to attack Israel. If, and if so, the, the devastation uh, of Russia and the Islamic world at the end of the war could easily pave the way for the rise of the Antichrist. So this scenario is a real possibility. It's not the one I think is most likely, but it is a possibility. Um, one hesitation I have to embrace this is because it requires a several-year period of time between the rapture of the church and the start of the tribulation. That's possible, but I've just always had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around there being years in between those two events. Uh, but it could be. A third possibility is that this war could come before the tribulation, and by that I mean even before the rapture as well. Now, I'm going to tip my hand here and tell you that after studying this at great length, this is the scenario that actually makes the most sense to me, and I'll explain why. So uh, on the timeline then, uh, that would put the war here. Now, if that's the case, and I don't know for sure, but if that's the case, then it's possible that we as the Church of Jesus Christ might still be around to witness this. And of all the end times prophecies that we love talking about and studying, this, to my knowledge, is the only one 
that we might actually be here for. We don't know for sure, but it's, it's interesting. So let me hasten to add that we have to be very, very careful about being dogmatic about this. Uh, I'm going to share uh, my opinions with you today, but I don't think the Scripture gives us the luxury of absolute assurance as to the timing of this war. And frankly, there are some really good arguments uh, for each, each position. There are some wonderful godly people I know and I've talked to who have studied this and come to different uh, conclusions. You're going to hear me use the word if a lot today because I don't know absolutely for sure when this war is going to take place. Now, I've got some guesses that I think are pretty good. I'm going to share my reasons why with you and you can decide for yourself. But bottom line, I guess we'll find out when it happens. Now, uh, some things to consider about a pre-tribulation rapture, a rapture that happens before the great tribulation begins. The Bible tells us that Jesus could come at any time. Okay, the fancy word for that is imminence, okay, at, at any moment. He could come right now. There is no prophecy of scripture that has to be fulfilled first before Jesus comes back to take us home. So then we're looking for his return right now. Okay, we're to be ready for his return because, you know, what if it were today? Okay, and, and we, uh, we're, we're looking forward to that because he could come at any moment. Okay, and because I really believe in that, I think the scriptures teach that, I cannot tell you that this invasion has to happen before the rapture of the church because then I've destroyed imminency. Now, I'm saying it could happen before the rapture. It, it might happen, but that's not the same as saying it has to. Because if it has to, then we're no longer looking for the return of Christ. This event would have to come first. And that is not what I'm saying. So I just want to be really clear about that up front. Now, we've got a, a problem in our theological camp that we need to be aware of. Uh, and I call it pre-trib blindness. Okay, this is my own phrase and here's what I mean by that. Okay, we say that no major prophetic event has to happen before the rapture, which is true. And so we think that no major prophetic event will happen before the rapture. And that, we just don't know. And so we declare uh, the next major event in God's program is the rapture. Well, we don't know that. It might be. But we don't know that for sure. And the biggest example I can give you of that is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, for example, talk about the Jews returning to the land of Israel. Talk about the nation being reborn. Talk about the restoration of the land. That has already happened, at least for the most part. So if 75 years ago, before Israel became a nation, I told you the next major event in God's program is the rapture of the church, well, I would have been wrong. Because, as it turns out, with hindsight, well, actually, God restored Israel before the rapture of the church. So just because nothing has to happen doesn't mean that nothing will happen prophetically before the rapture of the church. So I ask you, if Ezekiel 36 and 37, as it turns out, have been fulfilled prior to the rapture, is it possible that maybe Ezekiel 38 and 39 could also be fulfilled prior to the rapture? I believe they could. 
Now, we also need to beware of an escapist mentality. And we, we fall into this one all the time. You know, we hear about the great tribulation and all the tumult and all the people that are going to die. And the Antichrist, oh, it's going to be awful. Well, I don't need to worry about that because I'm not going to be here. You know, God's going to take me out of here before that happens. So I'm going to escape it all. Now, that's actually a true statement. Okay, but if we think from that, well, so God's not going to let me suffer. You know, bad things really aren't going to happen. I mean, at least not really, really bad things because, uh, you know, God's just going to give me a, a ticket. I got out of jail free card, and I'm not going to have to worry about any of that. Well, I'm setting myself up for trouble. And you try talking to, to Christians in North Korea, okay, or Sudan, you know, that you're not going to have to worry about trial and trouble and tribulation well, pretty soon you realize your theology is going to fall apart because it won't fly there. Now, our wishful thinking has us going straight from our lives of comfort here to our home and glory there with no possibility of major suffering in between. And the Bible does not teach that. Frankly, I'm concerned uh, that we're soft. And I'll certainly include myself in that uh, concern. Most of us, and I'm just probably, maybe it's through some exceptions, but most of us have really never had it really that rough in our lives. And if genuine persecution were to come our way, and it, and it could, I, I fear that maybe we're not ready. And I, I love our nation, but I look at what's happening in our nation, and it looks to me like the possibility of real persecution of Christians is closer all the time. In fact, in some ways it's already happening and if we're so soft i wonder if we'll be able to handle it you know as we talk about this war uh one possibility of why the united states for example doesn't show up to defend israel when they're attacked maybe we're not here you know maybe we've been wiped out you know maybe we've been defeated by an enemy or maybe we just simply collapsed from within which that could happen Okay, that could happen. What we do know is that trouble is coming upon the world and we best prepare our hearts to be ready. Okay, so what clues do we have about the timing of this war? Well, the Bible tells us that it will occur in the latter years. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 8, if you look at there, it says, after many days you will be summoned in the latter years... You will come into the land. Now, there's no debate, uh, to my knowledge, uh, that this is referring to the end times. Okay? This war has never happened before. Almost all evangelical leaders that I've studied, at least, they all consider this an end times event. Okay, but what there is debate over is precisely what is meant by the phrase, in the latter years. Now, one view is that this means during the tribulation. And some well-respected scholars say that this phrase, in other places in Scripture, has a very specific reference to that seven-year tribulation period. And so they, uh, they look at other places where it does mean that, and based on that, they say, well, that's what it means here. He's talking about the great tribulation. Now, another view is that this could mean any time near the end of the age. In other words, it might include some of the years right before the tribulation begins. In other words, just because this phrase sometimes refers to the tribulation period, it doesn't, not mean, it doesn't mean it always refers 
to the tribulation period. You have to be a little careful in Scripture of taking a meaning uh, in one context and applying the identical meaning in, a, in another context. And, and let me give you an example of that. Uh, Jeannie couldn't come to the church with me here this morning. What if I call her after church and say, I'm going to be a little late getting home? Well, it might mean I'm just going to stop at the store and I'll be there 20 minutes later than she expects me. Or maybe it means I'm going to go down to Longwood Gardens this afternoon and enjoy that or something, and I'm not going to be back till real late, okay? So just because you have to kind of look at the context to determine what it, meaning, what it really means. The same phrase doesn't always mean the exact same thing in every situation. Now, with this particular case, I, honestly, I think I could go either way uh, with it. It certainly could refer to the tribulation period. I think it could also easily include the years leading up to the tribulation period. I really don't think this is conclusive uh, all by itself one way or the other. So maybe that doesn't help you. But here's another clue. Uh, As this war approaches, Israel will enjoy peace and safety. Uh, Chapter 38, verse 8 Uh, describes Israel as a land that has recovered from war. Now all of them live in safety. Verse 11 says, I will go against those who are at rest, that live securely. Now, one view is that this will be true only after the Antichrist establishes his covenant with Israel, which would put this war sometime in the first half of the tribulation. And in support of that, they say, you know, Israel has always been on the alert because of her Arab neighbors. She has never really been able to let her guard down. The leaders of Iran, for example, are constantly spouting off about wiping Israel off the map. The Palestinian question has been going on for years. Everybody's always tried to solve it. President Trump wants to solve it. He won't, I don't think. Okay, I wish, wish he could, but I don't think he will. And in view of all this, a lot of people think, you know, Israel is never going to experience any true security until... The Antichrist establishes that peace covenant with Israel. And they say then that will set the stage for this war. Now, I have some problems with that view because if uh, Israel is under the Antichrist's protection, how could these nations attack her? Because he's not going to break that treaty with her until the midpoint of the tribulation. So how could this huge invasion take place of Israel right when the most powerful man on the planet is offering his support. It doesn't make sense to me because he's just not going to break that treaty with her till, till later. So let me give you another view and that this could describe conditions in Israel today. Uh, Joel Rosenberg uh, argues that Israel is even now living in a state of relative security And he lists a number of factors for that. He talks about the fall of Saddam Hussein's regime a few years ago. He talks about the death of Yasser Arafat, the withdrawal of the Syrians from Lebanon, uh, Israel's peace treaties with with Egypt and their peace treaty with Jordan. Uh, They've got a well-equipped army. They've got a top-notch air force, one of the most powerful air forces in the world after ours. Okay, they've got an effective missile defense system. They've got a strong economy. They've got a strong relationship with the United States. And according to Rosenberg, he says, Note that the Hebrew prophet does not go so far as to say that there will be a comprehensive peace treaty between Israel and all of her neighbors, or 
that all or even most hostilities in the Middle East will have ceased. There's another scholar uh, by the name of Arnold Fruchtenbaum, and I've talked to him face-to-face about this, and he says, this is not a security due to a state of peace, but a security due to confidence in their own strength. And this is a good description of Israel today. The Israeli army has fought four major wars since its founding and won them swiftly each time. Today, Israel is secure, confident that her army can repel any invasion from the Arab states. Hence, Israel is dwelling securely. I've been to Israel many times, and it is a safe place over there. Okay, far safer than you, probably, probably safer there than it is here. And I believe our American mindset is a little bit warped on this because we picture our homeland as a place of peace and security and Israel as a place where they're torn by violence and terror attacks. And you know what? It is exactly the opposite. Okay, the crime rate in Israel is very, very low. Okay, if, if you want to be safe from getting murdered, you're safer there than you are here. The number of serious incidents in Israel has been plummeting. Meanwhile, back here at home, I mean, our crime rate is skyrocketing. I mean, it's almost daily. Well, I wonder where there's going to be a mass shooting here now. You know, it's just all the time. And, and you've got to realize our, our media coverage is kind of slanted in this regard. If anybody throws a stone at somebody in Israel, it's all over the news. Okay, but back here in the United States, we've got something like 50 murders a day. And I don't know why anybody's ever afraid to go to Israel. You're, you're safer there than you are here. Another clue for the timing of this war, and I think this is a big one, is the fact that when God shows up, okay, there's going to be this devastating earthquake. We talked about this two weeks ago. Ezekiel 38, verses 19 and 20. This is part of how God uh, destroys the invading coalition. He says, There shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Every wall will fall to the ground. Now, I've done an exhaustive uh, word study in Hebrew of what those words in red really mean. You know what they really mean? Every wall will fall. (laughs) Okay, that's what it means. So here's the question then. Okay, if it's still standing at that time, what would that do to that dome of the rock up there in the Temple Mount? Well, you figure it out. Every wall will fall. And God himself will reduce it to rubble, maybe, just maybe, to prepare the way for the building of a Jewish temple on that site. And that, my friends, is a big deal. Okay, they're getting ready. Every time I take a group to Israel, I take them to the Temple Institute. It's in the old uh, city in the Jerusalem, in the Jewish quarter. And they are getting ready. I mean, they are fully expecting to have a temple again soon. And they're thinking, well, we, we don't want to just sit around with our, sitting on our hands. Let's get ready. And so they have been making everything that they need for that new temple. You know, the, the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the, and the candelabra and, the, and the, the veil, the curtains and the high priest garments. They've got it all ready. They're done. They've even got blueprints. If someone says, you can start building tomorrow, they say, okay, we're ready. Let's go. So they're getting ready. Now, the question, what if this war comes during the tribulation period when the temple's already been rebuilt? Okay, what would that do to the temple? Well, Ezekiel says every wall will fall. 
Okay, only this time it's, it's a temple standing there on the Temple Mount. Okay, ouch, every wall will fall. Only this time it's the temple of the Lord that's crumbling to the ground. Now that's a problem because precisely at the midpoint of the tribulation, which would have to be after this war, the Antichrist is going to go into that temple and he's going to say, hey guys, you've been worshiping somebody else? Uh Uh-uh, it's me now. He's going to set up this thing called the abomination of desolation, probably a statue of himself, and he's going to say, okay, everybody, worship me now. And where is he going to do it? He's going to do it in the temple, which is there at the midpoint. Now how is he going to do that? if that temple has just been reduced to a pile of rubble. So to me, this is a pretty strong argument that this war is going to come earlier, okay, before the tribulation begins. Now, it's not taught in this passage, but you need to realize that a terrible persecution of the Jews begins at the midpoint of the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16 tell us, When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. For then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And from that point on, okay, from mid-tribulation on, Jews will be fleeing for their lives. Okay, and this is an important point to understand as we seek to place this war on our timeline. Because at mid-tribulation, the peace in Israel is shattered. Any Jew caught running around after that will pay the price with their own life. And Jesus said, when you see that happen, don't even go back inside and get your coat. Just get out of there as fast as you can. And if they don't, They're probably going to get caught by the Antichrist and his forces and probably going to be killed. Now, question. Would Antichrist persecute Israel immediately after God had just powerfully delivered them? Now, think about it, okay? Uh, Remember two weeks ago we talked about, you know, the hail and the earthquake and the infighting and the plague and even fire and brimstone coming from heaven. It wipes out all these invaders and the whole world looks on and goes, oh my goodness, the Lord is God. Okay, and their dead bodies are lying unburied all over the mountains of Israel and the whole world looks on in awe and fear. Is that the moment that that Antichrist would choose to launch yet another attack against the Jews? Now think about it. Fire and brimstone. Devoured them all. Okay, are you ready to jump in and attack them again? Uh, not me. I, I saw what just happened. I'm not going to do that. Now, I know the Antichrist is one pretty bad dude, but he's not stupid, okay? So it makes sense to me that maybe a few years would go by first. We've got such short memories. Let people kind of forget about this. And, and, and then to begin attacking the Jews. So it doesn't really make sense to me that this persecution would come right on the heels of their greatest deliverance. Another question, uh, why would God deliver Israel right before her greatest persecution ever? I mean, why would you deliver them one minute and then throw them into the fire the next? But if this war comes near the end of the first half of the Great Tribulation, that's exactly what happens, and it just doesn't, doesn't quite make sense to me. 
Now here's another big clue, okay? It's going to take seven years to burn the weapons. Ezekiel 39, verse 9, says, Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. For seven years, they will use them for fuel. Okay, now a couple questions here. Uh, First of all, what kind of weapons are these? Now, our passage talks about bows and arrows and swords and and shields. Okay, the world used to use those kind of weapons, but not so much anymore. Are we really talking about these kind of ancient weapons? Well, it it could be. if you think about it, modern militaries run on oil, uh, what if there's been some kind of oil crisis and it would maybe force uh, the armies to go back to ancient weapons? Maybe there's been some kind of electromagnetic pulse bomb or something that has basically rendered every piece of modern weaponry uh, useless. I don't know. Okay, but I, I wouldn't rule out that this is referring to modern weapons either. Think about it. Now, if you lived in Ezekiel's day, what word would you use to describe a gun? What, I mean, had they even any concept of that? Or a tank? Or an airplane? Or a missile? How would he, I mean, he, they didn't even have the vocabulary to describe those things. So maybe Ezekiel was just simply talking about their, their weaponry, using all the language he had, which the people would at least have understood what he's talking about, and maybe that's what he meant. Um, had an interesting conversation after church last Sunday, too, about the fact that, you know what? I think of these weapons always made out of metal, but you know what? You can make a gun out of plastic. If you've got a 3D printer, you know, you can print a working gun out of plastic nowadays, and it works. And plastic burns, okay? So I don't know. But remember, whatever they are, it's going to take seven years to, to burn these weapons up. So the question here is, when would there be time to accomplish this? So if this war takes place near the midpoint of the tribulation, how long have you got until Jesus comes back? Well, you've only got three and a half years until he comes back. Now, I suppose you could keep on burning up these weapons on into the millennium, but Again, that doesn't sound quite right to me. Uh, I think about Christ when he comes back. He's going to restore everything. Uh, It seems strange to me that for years, uh, after Christ is here on earth, all these leftover weapons are laying all over the ground, and they're still gathering up and burning them. Um, Also, on top of that, okay, remember, what are the Jews doing during the second half of the tribulation? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're running for their lives, okay? They're not going to have too much leisure time to run around and gather up rifle stocks to make a campfire with, okay? So this is a real problem if you put this war any place near the midpoint of the tribulation. As I understand it, it seems to me you've got to have at least seven years of relative peace and quiet uh, before uh, everything breaks loose in order to burn up this stuff. And that would put it probably at least three and a half years before the start of the tribulation. Now, another clue. It's going to take seven months to bury the dead. Ezekiel 39, verse 12 says, For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All right, question. Uh, why bother with this? 
Okay, all these dead bodies, they're laying all over the mountains of Israel. Well, the answer is right there in the verse. Okay, this is to cleanse the land. Unburied bodies defile the land. And if you're a Jew living in the land of Israel, you don't want your land to be defiled. That land is precious to them. It always has been. So you're going to clean it up. Now, question, what does that tell us then about the conditions after this war? Well, it tells you the Jews are still living there, okay? And they're living in relative peace. And they've got freedom to to wander around the land and clean up all these dead bodies that are laying there and cleanse the land. But again, if this war takes place right before the midpoint of the tribulation, that's impossible, okay? If you're fleeing for your life, you're not going to wander around the mountains of Israel looking to see if there's any bones left behind that you can bury. You don't have time for that. So at the very least, again, if this war takes place during the tribulation, uh, it's got to be over at least, from this clue, at least seven months before the midpoint. All right, let's consider just a few implications of this war. Now, first of all, uh, in the aftermath, I believe that many will turn to Christ, okay? The nations will know, okay? Israel will know that the Lord is God. Now, that doesn't mean they all get born again, okay? But they will at least acknowledge, whoa, okay, there is a a God in heaven. Um, I don't know if any of you have read uh, the Tim LaHaye Left Behind uh, series. Tim LaHaye is with the Lord now. But uh, in his uh, series, he actually pictured God using this war prior to the rapture of the church to reap a great harvest of souls who would then go to be with the Lord when the rapture occurred. Now, to be fair, uh, these could also be some of the multitudes who will come to Christ during the tribulation. Uh, one problem, I think, if you put this view, put this war before the rapture, you can't have the majority of the views trusting Christ because then they're all going to go up in the rapture and Israel's pretty much gone. So the widespread revival and the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people won't happen until near the end of the tribulation. But one thing that this war will do is it will lead to the return of all Jews to the land. Ezekiel 39, verse 28, says, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. Now, for most of the last 2,000 years, and actually even before the time of Christ, most of the Jews were scattered. I don't know if you realize that. Even when Jesus was walking, most of the Jews were not living in Israel. They were, even then, they were scattered around the world. And they've been scattered for thousands of years. And it's only in about the last hundred years that they've started returning to the land. And now for the first time since probably before the time of Christ, you've got more Jews living in Israel than all the rest of the world put together. But they're not all there yet, okay? We've got Jews living all around us right here, okay? So at some point, they're all going back to Israel. If you're Jewish and you didn't know that, pack your bags. You might as well get ready. You're going (laughs) sooner or later, okay? But does this happen before the tribulation or does it uh, happen during it? Does it happen right before the absolute worst uh, persecution begins? Here again, it just makes more sense to me that God is going to orchestrate this to happen earlier, before all this takes place, before the, 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 uh, the tribulation takes place. Now, okay, this next one is a big one. 
The aftermath of this war, I think, could easily lead to the rebuilding of a Jewish temple. Remember, uh, we said that there's going to be, we know there's going to be a temple standing in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. So, okay, we know it's going to be there. When's it going to be rebuilt? Well, maybe it'll be rebuilt during the tribulation itself, after the Antichrist establishes his treaty with Israel. Could be. What about before the tribulation begins? It's very possible. And this war could easily explain how that comes about. If this war, keep using that word if, if this war happens before the tribulation, you've got the Dome of the Rock reduced to a pile of rubble by that earthquake, you've got the powers of Islam uh, subdued, maybe even wiped out, and you've got Jews turning their hearts back to God. They've already got everything ready. What do you think they're going to do? Now's our chance. Let's build this temple. And it doesn't t- strike me as a random coincidence that when you turn the page from Ezekiel 39, you come to Ezekiel chapter 40, which there to the end of the book talks about a future temple. Now, I think actually he's probably talking there about the millennial temple, but uh, I, I know they're getting ready right now. And that one excites me. Uh, I'm going to be there again in the spring. And it's so fun for me to see this stuff and realize they don't understand all of, of Scripture that we do, but they, but they have plans to build a temple. And Scripture tells me sooner or later they're going to succeed. And it could be there before we know it. I'm kind of rooting for this to take place ahead of time because I would love to take a tour to Israel and go visit the new temple. Wouldn't that be fun? You got to sign up for that trip. Now, with all this happening, it could lead to the Antichrist treaty with Israel. And here's, I'm speculating a little bit, so uh, just bear with me. Okay, uh, Russia would be wiped out. The Muslims pretty much wiped out. And it sounds to me like a pretty good time to put forward a peace treaty with Israel that the world might be ready to accept. And the world of Islam, of course, would be licking its wounds after this war, and maybe they could, he could pull this off. And it could then clear the way for the Antichrist's rise to power because Russia's gone. Okay, the Muslim world is, is, is devastated. There's a power vacuum that aches to be filled, and that could be precisely when the Antichrist rises to fill it. So what's next? You know, I can't really say for sure. Okay, it might be the rapture. I mean, I am looking forward to the rapture. There's been many days I said, oh, Jesus, this would be a good day. Have you had days like that? Okay, yeah, we're looking for his return, and it could be the very next thing. Or maybe the rapture will come after some of these other events, and we're already up in heaven. Maybe we'll get to see it. Of all the end times prophecies that we study, this is the only one that we might be around to witness, which is, I think, a good reason why we need to understand it. Just imagine, you know, that all these things actually happen, and you go, oh, yeah, I know all about that. Okay, the Bible already told us. Okay, I think we should be prepared. But I go back to that hourglass, you know, and, like, we can't see the top. We don't really know how much sand is left. And maybe the last few grains of sand are just getting ready to come down. I don't really know. I look at the world around me and I think, man, alive, we have got to be getting close. So if this war is close, what about the return of Christ? What about the rapture of the church? Yeah, it's all got to be close. Now, I I can't leave this subject without exhorting you to get right with God, okay? You, you may have been going to church for a long time, but that doesn't mean your heart is right with him. You know, maybe you're not 
saved yet. Maybe you don't really have a right relationship with God. Going to church isn't what's required of God to have a right relationship with him. Your parents can't do this for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Pastor Chris can't do it for you. If you want to be right with God, you have got to repent of your sin. You have got to trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you and trust in him and him alone for eternal life. And if you haven't done that, and all this stuff happens, if the rapture happens, guess what? You're left behind, and you're going through the tribulation. You need to be ready. And you know what? You've got friends and relatives who need to be ready too. So just get ready. One thing I know is that this war is close. The rapture of the church is close also. And Jesus is coming again. And it's going to be glorious. I can't wait. Let's talk to him for a second, and then we'll sing. Lord God, we just thank you that you're a God who is so sovereign over all of eternity. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't just sit up there in heaven reacting to what happens. You've got it all planned out, and you're going to bring it to pass. And we thank you that you've given us this promise in so many places in Scripture that Jesus is coming again. And you've seen in your wisdom uh, fit to give us details about what's going to happen ahead of time. And we need to know this stuff. You didn't put it in there just for us to ignore it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we'd make sure we're ready, that we'd be doing everything we can to help those around us get ready. Because, Lord Jesus, we know you're coming again. And we look forward to that day. We pray in your own precious name.